Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for February 17th, 2008. And we're going to continue with part two of the cross, pagan or Christian symbol. This is what we're examining today. And this is more into the start of this book, into the preface of the book. There's just a one quote here I was going to read. And it says, The cross of Christ can neither be seen, nor handled, nor loved, it is patiently. It is the patiently born agony of, of the body and soul here in view of the joy promised thereafter. Now, that's the first time I've made a quote like that. Because we want to look at all these other verses in the Bible where it starts to talk about, you know, I will glory in nothing but the cross. And, and you can understand why it would be so easy to start actually worshipping the cross, because people are looking at Bible verses and they're not understanding what they're written reference to here. They're not in reference to this wood stake or cross that Jesus Christ was crucified on. And we're going to look at that in much more in depth, because I think it's very, very important to define that. Because if you don't define it, then you have to come to the conclusion, what, what do all these verses mean when they are in reference to the cross? Okay, And it's easy, you just got to look at it from a biblical standpoint here. Quoting from this book further in the introduction, it says, It is time to show that Christ's cross is no image but a reality. It was no ornament of his person, but an overwhelming burden on his shoulder, and on his beating heart, crushing out the fountain of life, and pouring his blood upon the earth. To him, it was no brilliant spectacle, but it was, it was loathed in his soul, together with our sins, which he bore in his own body on the tree. Whereas the image, which is a lying vanity, this is the image of the cross, this is like what all the Catholics venerate and a lot of Christians, the image, and pagans, the image of the cross, which is a lying vanity, changes the whole character of Christ's cross into an ornament of flesh wreathed with flowers and suspended in a shining array from the neck of beauty, or lifted up to a point of a church spire, like a church steeple, which actually, church steeples are actually indicative of the uh, uh, phallus symbol, did you know that? I've got a whole email I've done on that. Or do a keyword search on the internet. Church of steeples and phallus symbol. <laughs> you'll, you'll get your boat loaded. It is a light, and this is what I mean, there's so many pagan traditions that are in the church today. And the church is so corrupted and so leavened, I just chose to come out of it. Because when something is so leavened and so corrupted, and if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You just got to come out of the thing. Wherefore, come out from among her, my children, and be not partakers of her plagues. That's why the Bible says that in Revelation. So, th this, this cross, it's lifted up to the point of a church spire, or a steeple. And it also adorns the pulpits. I mean, what, pul what church have you ever been in where they didn't have a cross on the pulpit, or, or a cross is all in the church? The one I used to go to that we were just talking about a second ago, they had a cross that was actually over the choir loft that was built into the roof. And, and it was actually the lighting system. I think the lights came through the cross. I mean, it looked really impressive. I never had saw that particular design before. But if you think about it, it's the accursed tree that it's representative of. Isn't that like bringing a cursed object into the church and revering it? It is lifeless, senseless, and yet deceitful vanity. Plus, they put it on the, quote, Christian flag. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of Bible verses, too, that relate to this. I, um, I'm going to wait a little bit to uh, go into those, establish more of a foundation here. It is time to understand the vast difference between Jesus nailed as a criminal through his hands and his feet to the accursed tree and the gaudy likeness of that fell instrument of his torture unto death meaning the cross. Our heart is stirred at beholding honest Christians on every side, taken with this dumb idol. And because that's what it is, it's an idol. If we really want to boil it down. And led for one moment to think that by adoring their person, their house, or their house of God with this image, meaning the cross, that they please the Father of Spirits. See, you're either pleasing God or you're not, with every action that we do. Okay, me included, I'm not saying I'm Mr. Special. I'm saying that every action that we, that we do, every thought, it's either pleasing to God or it's not. Well, this is no different. When we adorn our person, our houses, the house of God with this image, 
that we, that we think we please the Father of spirits and magnify the name of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ? Okay, now I'm going to go further here. Doug just brought up a really good point that you've got, a, was it a brother-in-law? That, that is very, very extremely religious, lives up north, and, and he actually has a little shrine built. Is that what he's got, Doug? And he's got, he's got his cross, and he's got um, various pictures of different Catholic icons, like these, you know, all their different saints. And, you know, supposedly these saints, you pray to them for different things. Like if you want it to rain, you pray to this saint. Or if you got a uh, stubbed toe, you pray to this saint. And, and really, literally, it's that bad. And it's such an abomination, because where does it ever say in the Bible to pray to, to dead people? It's called necromancy. It's for, forbidden. It was The penalty was death in the Old Testament. But Catholics just ignore all that. And um, the, Doug actually witnessed this firsthand, this guy in a little ceremony, where they're actually reverencing and worshiping. You know, and he flat admits that they, he worships and reverences the cross, these icons. He had, what do you say, a relic? Was it, was it the relic of a dead person? Yeah. It was actually a part of a dead person? Oh, good. Well, you know, I don't know. It was some, maybe it was their little toe. But they actually try to get these relics. And, and it's, you know, hey, if you can get one. And from what I've also been told, that in basically, it, I believe in the altar of every Catholic church in some way, shape, or form, they've got these relics either buried there or embedded in to some part of the church. But, well, why are they doing that? Because they're trying to bring curses of delusion and this religious spirit that the Catholics... I mean, this is, this is morbid stuff we're talking about here. The cross is a morbid thing, if you think about it. It was the instrument of the cruel and tortured death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, they reverence it. And many so-called Christians do too. And they've got their pictures of their long-haired Jesus, which I've talked to before, is, is just nothing more than the... Um, most likely the New Age Christ that's going to appear. Lord Maitreya, probably his false prophet, will look just like Jesus Christ. And, you know, it was funny. One time I went into a, um, well, it was really more than a New Age bookstore. It was, it was flat out witchcraft. And I went in there. Because I, I, can, I can go in there and I can actually talk to these people. Um, because I've studied this type of stuff. Not that I've practiced it, but studied it. And I, I wanted to know a question. I, I had a question about something. I wanted to ask her. And um, I went in there. And as I was talking to her, I kind of peeked around the corner and I saw she had this little shrine set up in there. Guess who was the first one that I, I had I saw? A long-haired picture of Jesus. Sananda Emmanuel is what they call him in the New Age. Um, and then there were these other ascended masters that she had in there. But I guarantee you, the New Agers are worshipping a lot of the same things that the Catholics are worshipping. That's why when the one where religion comes around, it's not going to be that big of a stretch for these people to all get on the same page. Because they're already doing so much of the same things. They're just doing it under different names. It's all an abomination. Now if we go back to this article on page 17, or this, this particular book, um, this is called The Sign of Tammuz. Israel and Judah often were reproved in Scripture for the serving of Balaam and Ashtaroth. Or Astarte, which is where we get the star. The star of Remphan, I believe, is the six-pointed hexagram. Hex meaning curse. Five-pointed stars, wicked too, but the six-pointed star is even more wicked. Now, I've done a whole teaching on this. Just key in the word hexagram on the little search bar on, on the Sermons Audio homepage. For my homepage, there's a little search button. Just put in hexagram or, or, the, um, or if there's anything you're searching for, just put it in that little bar. And you'll probably be able to find it. Well, um, Israel and Judah were often reproved for worshipping them, and serving Balaam, Astaroth, and uh, Starty, and for worshipping these images of the heathen. Astaroth, the goddess of backsliding Israel, is the Syrian Astarte, better known as Venus in the classical mythology. Now remember, they're just repackaged deities under different names. According to different times and dispensations and races, they change the names for... Uh, you know, however to suit their purpose. Tammuz was the beloved of Astarte, answering to Bacchus and Adonis in the classics. According to mythologists, Tammuz, in hunting, was slain by a wild boar's tusk. 
And the Syrian women in the worship of Astarte celebrated the anniversary of his death by lamenting for Tammuz. Now, the legends have it of the Babylonian mystery religions, that on his 40th birthday, he was slain by a wild boar. Evidently, he wasn't as good of a hunter as his dad, Nimrod, the mighty hunter. So, he was slain on his 40th birthday. This is where we get the 40 days of Lent. This is where it says that, according to mythologist Tammuz was hunting, was slain by a wolf's boar, sus, and then the Syrian woman in the worshipping of Astarte celebrated the anniversary of his death by lamenting for Tammuz. Now, we're going to look at more of this lamenting for Tammuz, but Lent is that period where you give up something. It's the period, essentially, in the Catholic religion, in its pure sense, where you are lamenting for Tammuz. This is what you're doing <laughs> when, you, when you participate in the Catholic religion. This is why they, I believe they celebrated at the end by eating a, uh, a, uh, a ham. Why? Because the ham, which is the pig or the boar, is what killed Tammuz. So you get even at the pig by eating them at the end of the 40 days. Now that's insane! But that's how they practice their religion. But see, they don't think anything of it. They don't look at where do we get these traditions from. Pure paganism. The night of the anniversary was spent in a Bacchalian wake. I mean Bacchus, a Bacchalian wake. Now this is, the, this is the night of the anniversary of the death of Tammuz. Carrying in procession with lamps and burning torches a crescent uplifted in honor of the goddess. A crescent, like a... Like a crescent moon. Okay, so they carried in this Bacchilian wake, in honor of Temuz, they carried an uplifted crescent moon in, honest, in honor of the goddess, and a T, or a Tau cross, in memory of Tammuz. See, the crescent moon is always representative of the female goddess. Okay, in this case, Semiramis, Tammuz's mother. Okay? T was representative of Tammuz, the Tau cross. Okay, so that's why they had both the thing in there. Now, like on the Muslim flag, you have the crescent moon and the star. Okay, the crescent moon is symbolic of the female, the star is symbolic of the male. And really what it's also symbolic of is the union of male and female, meaning the, the, the human sex act. Most of this stuff boils down to some perverted meaning. And I'm sorry, but that's just kind of the way it is, you know. Oh, thank you. So... When they had this procession, with their, they had their big T-Tau cross, and they uplifted in this Bacchalian wake, and the crescent moon. Afterward, this was accompanied with the most licentious and unmentionable crimes. In other words, all manner of debauchery, fornication, sodomy, most likely went on. Because that's what these gods like and require. And hey, the people are more than willing to oblige. Now that, was, that little quote I just read was from Eidenberg Review, January of 1870. <clears throat> Now, by the mouth of his prophet Ezekiel, the Lord sets this abomination before our eyes after the following manner. He takes in vision and transports Ezekiel from his captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem and shows him some of the hateful things secretly practiced among the honorable men of the city. Now, this is in uh, Ezekiel um, 8, 6 through, well, 6 through 14. We're only going to be reading the last part because I, I got a lot of material to cover here. And he said unto me, this is God saying to Ezekiel, and he said unto me, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than they do. He, then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was towards the north. And behold, there sat woman weeping for Tammuz. See, this is a time in the Bible where they're showing you these women were weeping for Tammuz. Okay, I just want to read a little bit further into this. So we, we talk about the women, uh, the Lord's house, which was towards the north. Behold, there set women weeping for Tammuz, the sun, the sun god, Tammuz. Okay, which was the original deity of the Babylonian mystery religion. You had Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. Father, son, and goddess. Okay, that's, that's the pagan trinity. Okay, whereas in the, in the um, Bible, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I've had a lot of, I've had some people... Getting on me about using the word Trinity or whatever. You know what? You don't have to use the word Trinity. I, I just, that to me that's irrelevant. I don't even think it occurs in the Bible. But the fact remains is what is mentioned. The highest ranks in heaven is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay. Period. But I I learned where 
why people that have beefs about this or are mad about this, it comes from the doctrine of modalism, which believes that there's only one God and he just kind of shapeshifts into one minute he's God the Father, one minute he's God the Son, one minute he's the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. Sorry. I got a whole article that refutes the thing. So, anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail too long, but there's all kind of stuff out there. Uh, and then it goes on to say, in verse 15, And then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? And this is God talking to Ezekiel. God. Turn ye yet again, and now shall see greater abominations than these. Now this was all being done, supposedly, you know, in the house of the Lord here. Where this thing, these things ought not to be occurring. Just like it is today. All kind of stuff going on in supposedly the house of God. There shouldn't be occurring. Then it says, And he brought me, meaning God, brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord. So they, were, they weren't facing toward the temple. Their backs were, which is an abomination. And their faces were toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. So this is sun worship. What is Tammuz? The sun god. The women were weeping for him. The men had their backs toward the temple, and they were facing the east, where the sun comes up, Rises in the east, sets in the west, and they were worshipping the sun god. Kind of relates to this whole thing we're talking about today. So if we go back to this article, it says, Such was the symbol of Jerusalem's idolatry for sinful pleasure, woman in the gate of the Lord's house weeping for, weeping with Astaroth for her lost Tammuz. He was killed by a boar on his 40th birthday. 40 days of Lent. Purely paganism, amalgamated into the Catholic religion. A single sentence from the illustrated history of the British Empire of India throws light on this subject. Now this is from the illustrated history of the British Empire. And notice another thing about this. I'm quoting you all King James, right? Well, this book was made, what was what did I say, 1831? Well, guess what? We didn't have all the, the, the perversions back then. You know what? It wasn't even an issue. We didn't even have the first perversion, the first mainstream perversion, until 1871. Not like it is today, where we have hundreds of Bible versions that spawn from that revised version, I'm sorry, 1881, that was translated by two occultists, Westcott and Hort, that they actually used Catholic manuscripts to translate that, that were actually traced back to Egypt. We did, it, it wasn't even a point of contention. It wasn't a point of debate, because these other perversions did not exist. The King James Bible was good enough for them. And that's when a lot of the major revivals were, were occurring in, prior to that time. Where people, I mean, true conversion type of thing. Are we better than they? Well, anyway, if we go further. Single sentence from the illustrated history of the British Empire of India throws light on the subject. Quote, The Buddhists of Tartary reverence the form of the cross in many ways. And use the sign of the cross as a charm to dispel invisible dangers. Isn't that what the Catholics do? Invisible dangers. Proving the Babylonian origin of their system. The mystic Tau initial of Tammuz was variously written. Now in this case, what the, they show a symbol of this. And it's like a T, okay, but with, with the horizontal bar, the very, very ends just kind of crop down. So it's like a T with the very ends cropped out. But it does look like a T. The mystic Tau, the initial of Tammuz, was variously written. It was marked on the foreheads of the worshippers when they were admitted into the mystery religions. And you're going to see later, it's the very thing that, you know, we make the sign of the cross, or they make the sign of the cross in the Catholic religion. And even some of the, of the um, people um, that they talk about here, when they were baptized, they were making the sign of the cross on the forehead, or, the, or an X. I don't see any place in the New Testament where it says to do that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Always err on the side of safety. If it's not clearly laid out in Scripture, why do you want to try to push the envelope? And bring in some man-made thing. Well, it makes me feel more religious, Brother Johnson. You know, religion's going to get you straight to hell most of the time. So it was marked on their foreheads of the worshippers that were admitted into the mystery religions. Now I'm going to talk about this more later. Where did this whole thing about marking somebody on the forehead start? It started right there. The Tau cross was half the, the, was half the labrum, labarium, 
which is the idolatrous standard of the early pagan nations. The other half being the crescent moon. Okay, so we have the Tau cross and the crescent moon. I've already explained what those meant. Okay? One was also indicative of the male, the Tammuz, the Tau cross, and the other was indicative of the female, the crescent moon. Think of the crescent moon like being a receptacle. Like, I hate to say this, but like the female genitalia. That's what it was representative of. The Tau cross was more representative of the male. Okay? Because you always had to have that in, in every permeating through everything because it just had to be warped and twisted some way. Or in a lot of ways. So the Tau was half the labrum, the idolatrous standard of the early pagan ages, and the other half being the crescent moon. The Tau was the emblem of the Babylonian Bacchus. And the crescent moon was that of the Astarte. The queen of heaven. Remember where it talks about Jeremiah 7, 11, 14, where it talks about they, they needed and baked cakes to the queen of heaven. And this was one of the precursors to God's worst judgment. Not exactly an endorsement for doing it. Queen of heaven today is known as the Catholic Mary goddess. That's what they refer to her as. In fact, the apparitions, she calls herself that. Just get that, go up and watch the tape. Messages from heaven. Do a keyword search on the internet. Or go into my Catholic file on any one of the things where I talk about Catholics on Sermons Audio. Click into it. You can watch the whole thing for free. It's awesome. Messages from heaven. In every nation possessing a creed or philosophy, the same sign has been used. It has, having the same derivation, at Nineveh it was found among the sacred ruins. Now that's from a guy named Layard. See, all this is referenced. Everything I'm reading you is basically all referenced. We're really trying to stay away from... This is the opinions of, of or, or the writings of several, several people. Uh, in Egypt, it was similarly used as well, as is well known. The Spanish priests were astonished. Now this is amazing. Listen to this. The Spanish priests were astonished to find the cross worshipped in Mexico. Wouldn't that be convenient? If you were a Spanish Catholic priest wanting to come over there and convert everybody to Catholicism, you come over there, they already got the crosses. They've never even known about Christianity. But yet they got all the crosses already set up. There were, there were all streams from the same mountain. That's why. All what, what mountain? Mountain of Babylon. Satan Mountain. Okay? So, wouldn't that have been, kind of blew your mind, you know, you're some, you're some Spanish priest guy, you go over there to try to convert the heathen? They already got the crosses set up. That tells you it predates Christianity. Is that an endorsement for worshipping the cross? I don't think so. But like the Bible says, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. That's what we're doing today. We're reasoning here. Okay, this is just we're just looking at this logically. This is not something that, that should provoke provoke anger. This is just factual evidence here we're dealing with. Now, the image was consecrated to the religious uses among the nations of Europe and Asia long before the Christian era. And also in America before, discovered, before Columbus discovered it. One of Cortez's lieutenants passed over from the island of Cozumel, that's in the Yucatan Peninsula, to the, um, to the continent and then the coast of the peninsula of the Yucatan as far as Campany. Everywhere he was struck with the evidences of a higher civilization. He was astonished. Now this is, this is one of Cortez's lieutenants. Okay. He was astonished at the sight of large stone crosses. Evidently objects of worship. Which he met in various places. Oh I guess they were Christians. No they were pagans. All, it all comes from the same stream. Well, how did they get over there? Well, the Bible says in the days of Peleg, the lands were divided. Now, we're going back to like Noah's time. Okay? I don't exactly know what happened back then, but it said in the days of Peleg, the lands were divided. Something happened with the, the continents and things of this nature where the lands were divided way back into Noah's day. And if you were on a, a particular land that was divided... Okay, and you had your pagan religion, you're going to take it with you. It's going to be a different flavor. The Mexicans are going to have a different flavor, or the Aztecs and the Mayans are going to have a different flavor than those people over in the Orient. It's a different flavor. 
in Babylon, all the people were broken up also as well. That's why they call it the Tower of Babel, because nobody understood one another. God came down and confounded men so that they couldn't commit this abomination. They couldn't all get together on the same page. Well, guess what? That's what we've got today. We've got all the religions coming back together, just like the Tower of Babel, so that ultimately they can serve Satan and, and commit abominations at a greater, greater degree if they're all united than if they're all split up. So, this Cortez guy, he was pretty astonished. And a curious fact that the cross was consecrated as the object of religious worship, both in the New World and in the regions of the Old, where the light of Christianity had never come. It's not Christianity. They were taking them to Catholicism. Oh, they, were, they, they weren't giving them life. I read this book last night of this lady, this, this missionary lady that came down here to the Everglades, the Miccosukee, and she was called an Episcopalian deaconess. Oh, that's really right with God. Episcopalian, a Wiscopalian, sorry, deaconess. Came down here by herself, no male covering, started her own mission, real independent, real headstrong. Went to the Indians, said, hey listen, I'll be your middleman, I'll sell your goods to the white man and I won't charge you a cut or anything. She was trying to endear herself to them. They liked her. She went to them and she said, you know what? Your great God, God of the sky, the great spirit of the sky is the same as is our Holy Spirit. And they loved it. And I thought to myself, you know what? All you're giving them is another repackaged form of death. You're not doing that. You're not, they're not getting saved. You're telling them a lie. You're telling them some pagan God is the same as the Holy Spirit? Why? Because they want to hear it? Really, and then, and then she started having their annual Christmas celebrations with the Indians. And supposedly many got converted. But what did they get converted to? True Bible-believing Christianity? I think not. Now, if I'm wrong, God forgive me. I know God can use, you know, but it sure didn't sound like to me, you know, anything biblical, that's for sure. But that's what the, that's what the Catholics did. So if we go further, and I mean, and again, you know, he goes in there and, and they find all these crosses and, and, and find that, you know, supposedly the light, in this case of Catholicism, had never even been there. I mean, what great company for Christians. I mean, just reading this alone would throw up red flags. Like, why do I want anything to do with this, this symbol? And then it says, we are better prepared to take up the thread of the story from its beginning with Barnabas, and to follow it down through the labyrinth of air until the initial Tammuz has come to be exalted as the banner of Christendom. There are no dreams but realities set forth, not in opposition to the church of our crucified Lord, but to the fidelity to the glorified Lord of the church. Many Romans and some others think that by exalting an image of the cross, they honor the Lord Jesus Christ. In the spirit of the apostle who claims, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now we're going to talk about these verses much more in depth. They little consider that the staros, this cross which is where the word cross is derived from, staros from the Greek that the word staros is death to this world crucified with Christ okay, death to this world with shame and the reproach of the sufferer Remember it says, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That persecution is the cross. It's the trial of our faith. This is the cross that the Bible is in reference to. You know that verse that says, think not it's strange, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Okay? Blessed are ye when all men shall revile you and you shall suffer persecution. And all men shall hate you for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. That's the cross that Jesus Christ is talking about. Okay, it's not the wood. I've, I've seen these guys go up and down the highways, and they've got, there's certain of them around, and oh, I bet you they feel like they're real religious. They go around and they've got literal eight or nine foot crosses that they drag around with them. Down the sides, of, I remember when I lived up in Tallahassee for a brief time, I saw one of these guys coming down the road. And I thought he was a real man of God and everything. I'm not saying he's not Christian. I'm saying I think he's very deceived. He was dragging, and there's a whole movement in America, 
dragging this cross. It had little wheels on the back of it. You ever seen these guys? And he had a little siren on top, and he sold ice cream. No, just kidding. But, no, he was dragging this cross, and it had little wheels on the bottom, and he had all of his stuff inside the cross. It was like his, his big backpack. Okay, it's like his cursed backpack. And he's dragging it down the road, and he, and he gets to this gas station, and I think I went up to him, and I gave him a donation at the time. You know, I didn't know any better. I, was, I thought Benny Hinn was a man of God back then. Shows you where I came from. So, but there was a whole movement of these guys, and they go all around the country. I mean, it's dangerous what they're doing. They get this big gigantic crow, they're on the side of the road, you know, dragging this thing. It's crazy. But I bet you they feel real spiritual, real holy. See, they've taken the scriptures literally. Take up, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Hey, they may think they're the only ones saved. Who knows? But see, they got it all wrong. They got it all wrong. They're glorying in something that should be a shame. The cross is a curse. It's the accursed wood. It's the accursed tree. It was the implement of death of our Savior. And they drag it around everywhere. Now, it is time, if we go back to this article, he says, it's time to shout aloud with Imbert, who's another guy they're quoting from, worship Christ, not the wood. Honor Christ, not the image of his murder which is what the cross is, and though rejected of men, we may hope with him to be accepted of the Lord. Now, this next part is the various fashions in the image of the staros, or, or what the Bible refers to as the cross. Staros for men is the Greek meaning. Now, staros is from um, the Greek, and uh, it's dual definitions in the uh, in definitions from Strong's, is number one, a cross, which is a well-known instrument of the most cruel and ignominious punishment borrowed by the Greeks and the Romans from the Phoenicians. Two, it were affixed among the Romans down to the time of Constantine the Great, the guiltiest of criminals, particularly the basest of slaves, robbers, authors, and abettors of the insurrections, and occasionally in the provinces, and at arbitrary pleasure of the governors, upright and peaceable men, also even the Roman citizens themselves. Um, and then it's the second definition, is an upright stake, a pointed one, used such in fences or palisades. But, the, but a lot of the people here say, in this, they give the contention that Christ was actually crucified on what they would consider more of a true staros, which would be more of an upright peg or stake. Okay? Again, I'm not going to sit here and, and go down that rabbit I think it's, personally I think it's irrelevant in this particular context. Okay? What we're trying to do is, is, is the worship of the cross good or is it bad? Whether it's, a, whether it's an upright peg, whether it's a Tau cross, whether it's a Roman cross, or any of these other pagan crosses that we're going to look at here in a second. Because this is the next part. It says, the various fashions of the image of the, quote, staros. Among these surprising discoveries to which an examination of the subject leads is this, that many forms, each essentially different from each other, these are the different various forms of the cross, all are contrary um, to the cross that has prevailed in Christianity, of Bible-believing Christianity. In other words, it's something totally different. We've already discussed what the meaning of the cross of the Bible actually means. And we're going to go further into that as well. But these are actually introduced as signs and symbols of the cross of Christ. A list of some of these throw light on the subject. There's one which just looks like a stake or a pale. It's also called a staros, as we said. This is also a pagan symbol. It's very rarely used, and it's also very ancient. And then we have, a second way it's portrayed is actually the Greek initial of Christ, they say. The Greek initial of Christ was just an X. Answering, um, and this is another way it was portrayed. Okay? And then, number three, was the X with a P through the middle which was supposedly the monogram of Christ. This was a way that you could actually write Christ as a symbol. Okay? Which was a device of the first two Greek letters of Christ, corresponding to C-H-R in English. This form alone is found on coins, medals, and the arms of Constantine and his successors. This is how Constantine portrayed this symbol as a X with a P going through it, which, which were, I guess, the two Greek letters... Two Greek letters of Christ. Okay? 
It was a symbolic way of, of supposedly saying... But see, you've got to be really careful, because whenever you start doing this, idolatry will always, 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 always follow. Every time. And we're going to read some verses that give you further warning about this in a second. And then we have the number four way, which looks like a real fancy... Like, um... Real, real fancy letter F, but not a capitalized letter F, the, the other version. These are fashionable modifications of the monogram in the latter days of the empire. Then there's the number five, which is just a an actual upright cross, but it looks like it's it's not with the crossbar at the top, it's right in the middle. Okay? This is also called the Greek cross, and in very, various modifications, it shows these other... This is also like the way that the Germans uh, displayed the iron cross that they had on their medals, the, the Nazis. Um, and then there's another form, number six, the forked form of the cross, uh, which is the idea of the forked trunk of a tree, to the arms of which the hands were nailed, and then the feet to the trunk. And then there's also the common Roman Catholic cross, which is what we have today. And then there's the Talmudic... The, not Talmudic, but the Tammuz cross which is more of the T. And then there's the, called the Jugyum, or the Latin yoke, or the common gallows. And then we have the Russian cross, uh, which would be number 10. And here are 19, okay, there are 19 different forms of this cross recognized by great communions and learned authors under one common name in English, which is the cross. Now, remember, I just went over a whole bunch of different forms. There's, a, there's 19 more, it says, and then besides these, the books of heraldry supply two score more images of fanciful crosses. That would mean 20 more. Or no, it would be 40. A score. A score is 20, I believe. Yeah, so it would be 40. 40 more versions of the cross. Well, which one's the real one? Which one's... Well, God's not the author of confusion. It's just like the Bible versions. Why would God let there be hundreds of different Bible versions? Is God the author of confusion? No. There's only one stream, though, that's separate and distinct from the other. It's the King James Version line. Do a keyword search for King James Bible on my sermons. There's a PDF file there. You can download it. It'll show you the two streams of Bibles. Um, or I can email it to you. So... Now, let's go, let's go now, let's go to Acts 17, verse 28. This is the warning here. So we read that, and let's say, well, well where can we get scriptural co uh, confirmation of that we don't want to worship, you know, any of these crosses, any of these things like this. Let's, let's, let's show you that. I want to give you biblical confirmation of every single thing I'm saying. Acts 17, verse 28. Now, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. For in Him we live. This is Jesus Christ. And move and have our being. That's Jesus Christ. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Okay? Verse 29. For, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. You know what? That pretty much sums up the whole teaching for today. In fact, I'm just going to end it right there. Just kidding. Sorry. Doesn't that sum up everything? We're the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead whether you're in reference to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art in man's device. Isn't that what a cross is? It's graven art. If it's in the form of a picture. Or you could have it in the form of a real cross that you hang around your neck. Graven art. It's of a man's device. And you can have it in gold or silver, whatever flavor you want. Or stone. But we ought not to think that God has like that. That's why they say in here that this, this, this number three one, this monogram, they call it the monogram of Christ, which is the two Greek letters of Christ. You know what? They say that, that, that that's an okay way to represent it. You know what? I don't believe that. Because you know what's going to happen? Exactly what did happen. Because that 
got transformed into this and then into that and then into that and that's this is what we have in the Catholic religion now. It supposedly it started out with this monogram of Christ, this P and the letter X. But look where it ended up. Why? Because we ought not think the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven art by man's device. That's why. Because God knows that'll always happen. Because man has this idolatrous streak in him where he just has to set up something in the form of an idol. I remember, didn't you tell me about Jason that when he left the church and he says, well, we're not going to celebrate Christmas. He went and he erected at Christmas time, at Xmas time, he went and he erected a cross. What, did he have like stones around the base or something? He put the cross in it or something like that? And he was worshipping it like it was a family altar? How sickening! I won't even get into all this stuff he did. Calls himself a Christian. <sighs> now, let's go to Exodus 24.5 to get further confirmation. Exodus 24.5 Now, as I was doing this sermon, the sermon, the Holy Spirit was popping these verses into my mind. Where I needed to insert them. That's, how, that's what happens to me when I put together sermons many times. And I pray to God he do this. That he pops these sermons in at the appropriate time where I need to quote them. And a lot of times these are verses I haven't thought about in years. Why? Because the Bible says when Jesus Christ leaves, He's going to send a comforter, and that comforter, will in the Holy, which is the Holy Spirit, He will bring into remembrance these things that you ought to know. That's what He does. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. He does this. But that's why it's very, very important to read the Word. And memorize it. Because if you don't read it, if you don't memorize it, you're not going to have anything to draw upon. Exodus 24.5 Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, <clears throat> or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down unto them. Isn't that what these Catholics do when they go to the church? Isn't it what a lot of Christians do? They bow themselves down to the cross? Let's say they go to the altar, there's a big cross up there. <clears throat> nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. See, the Godhead is not like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art or man's device. The Godhead isn't like that. God knows that when this stuff starts to happen, it's going to be turned into idolatry, which is an abomination in the sight of God. What did I just read? What was that? The second commandment. It was the second commandment I just read. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Any graven image. Any. Well, would that include a cross? Yes. Any. What part of any are we not getting? Now, I'm not being mean here. I'm just saying, for somebody that's not understanding. Any graven image. You know what? That one verse right here alone is all you need. Isn't it? That's all you need. This one verse. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. He includes everything. Anything in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. That's it. It covers the whole universe, essentially. You're not to make any graven image that thou shalt bow thyself down unto them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Now, God knows that when you start doing this, what's the next logical thing that's going to happen? You're going you're to start bowing yourself down to them. You're going to start worshipping them. Why? Because God is a jealous God. This is an affront to God. Because the Godhead is, is not like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art or man's device. That's why. So hopefully I've made that really clear. Because that is probably the most part of this, the, one of the most important parts of this whole teaching. That you understand that. Now, let's go to chapter 11 in this particular thing. No description, this is about Barnabas. No description of our Lord's cross is given in the Holy Scripture. In other words, dimensions, these types of things. Okay, what is it actually? What is it shaped like? Save the implied in several words where we get the word cross, which is derived from the word staros. And no man has any scripture authority to describe the wood in any other form. It was not recognized in any other form, either by saint or heretic, till we see it in the epistle of Barnabas. Now, the epistle of Barnabas is not in the Bible. And it also appears in the Gospel of Nicodemus. 
Okay, now, I, again, I'm not trying to, like, badmouth early church fathers and stuff like that. And who knows, if the truth be told, exactly, maybe what they wrote and, you know, but some of these are from their own writings. But this epistle of Barnabas is not canon of scripture. Okay? So we want to be really careful of that anyway. You know, it's just like anything else. These, there's a lot of what they call Gnostic Gospels. You want to avoid them like the plague. If you go in there to glean, you better be a mature Christian. You really better know the Word of God. Because if what they're saying contradicts the Word of God, you always believe the Bible. Okay, that's your standard. That's the anvil of truth upon which everything else is judged. But if you don't have an anvil to judge it by, if you don't even know the Bible, well then don't even mess with them. Know the Bible first. I had a guy email me the other day, and, and this is a good point to bring up. These teachings, to be quite honest with you, are really for more so the mature Christians that have been weaned off the milk and are in need of strong meat. That's what we're getting into. Now, if you're a baby Christian, I'm not going to try to dissuade you from listening to this. You're going to have to kind of get a crash course. But the main thing you need to be always emphasizing, much more than anything I'm giving you, is the Bible. Is the Word of God. You need to spend the majority of your time there. Okay? I'm just a man. I can fail you. I don't tell anybody to follow me. What I'm trying to do is, is relate current events and things where we are being deceived, which totally confirm the Bible, to the Bible. Okay? Always going back to the Bible. But understand that. This is not exactly, you know, baby Christian 101 stuff we're getting into here. This is really, really, really strong meat stuff. But, it's also things that people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge by. And they're, they're important. So, you know, if you're new to this, I'm, I'm, I kind of feel sorry for you because it took me a long time to get to the point even where I'm at. But, better you find out now than never know. You know, I mean, better get a crash course now than, you know, all of a sudden the lying signs and wonders come from the Antichrist and then you fall away. So if we go further, <clears throat> the cross is not recognized in any other form, either by saint or heretic, till we see it in the Epistle of Barnabas and the Gospel of Nicodemus. So-called. Who were these? Who were these anyway? Uh, who, who were... Who these were, nobody knows. Okay? But we shall soon see that they were not the men they pretended to be. In other words, what is heavily implied here is these really weren't written by Barnabas or Nicodemus. Just like we have the Gospel of Judas now, that they supposedly discovered in some jar in like Iran or something, or Iraq. The Gospel of Judas. When did he have time to, to write that, is what I'd like to know. Because basically in this Gospel, Judas is portrayed as the good guy. He's portrayed as, he knew he was going to be the scapegoat. He knew he was going to desi- de, uh, de, um, de, um, sell out the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew all that was going to happen, but since the scriptures prophesied it, it was his part to do, and he was actually acting in a holy way, what he did. In fact, he was the most holy of all apostles. That's what it, this is what this book says. Well, we know Judas couldn't have wrote this, because it basically tells his life in, in leading up to this thing. And, you know, pretty much from the time Judas betrayed Jesus Christ, you know, it was just a matter of time before he was dead. So, it's just some counterfeit. There's a lot of counterfeit stuff out there. So, Barnabas appears to be the inventor of the received form of the Christ's cross. Also, of the glory and the mighty power of the sign of the cross. And he is the first also to teach men to put their trust in the cross. This Gospel of Barnabas here, or Epistle of Barnabas. On which he says Christ's kingdom was founded. He said that they trust in the cross because Christ's kingdom was founded on the cross. And these and other strange doctrines of Barnabas are reflected in the works of Justin, Tertullian, Cyprian, and others, veiled in the companionship of the Holy Truth. After the, now again, he paints all of them like this blanket of bad. On all, I'm not going to do that, okay? Particularly with Justin Martyr and Tertullian. I'm not going to do that. None of us are perfect, okay? And I'm not going to sit here and, 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 you know, come down on Tertullian or, or Justin Martyr and these types of things. They didn't have the Bible in its completed form at the time. You know, I mean, not in the way we have it today, 
Okay, the scriptures were, were, were you, didn't, you, didn't, you couldn't go up to a dime store and get a King James Bible for a dollar. At least you can do that in this country. You didn't have access to the internet and a lot of the things we have today. They didn't have that advantage either. So, you know, give, give them some grace at the same time here. After the fabled discovery of the wood of the cross became current, remember this thing about Helena, Constantine's mom, discovering the three crosses, and one of them healed everybody, and that was the one Jesus was crucified on, which is a total lie. But, after the fabled discovery of the wood of the cross became current, and its, its pretended multiplication in the hands of Cyril, Bishop of Jerusalem, from 350 AD to 360, uh, was proclaimed abroad, the image served to lead on other signs and symbols in the legion of pagan rites and observances. So in other words, the cross led to this, led to that, led to this. It just let, per, it just let paganism permeate the whole thing. Which, which was also, which the resulting, it resulted in the reconciling of the heathen to the new religion without forsaking their old manners or customs, which is exactly what they wanted. So hordes of barbarians that overthrew the Roman power turned their idols and their festivals from profane into a saintly use. Oh, that's what we want to do. Yeah. As Prescott says of the Mexicans converted by his Spanish conquerors, quote, it only required him to transfer his homage from the cross as the emblem of the God of rain, because see, that's what they revered when they went over there and they found all these crosses. It was the, it was the emblem of the God of rain. Okay? All they had to do is transfer that worship to the same cross as the emblem of salvation of Christ. That's all they had to do. You have to ask yourself, why would God want anything to do with any of this? He doesn't. We're not supposed to make any graven images. Bow down and worship ourselves under them. Why? Because God is a jealous God. And He shares His glory with no one. Well, what if you're doing this? Do you think God's going to answer your prayers? Do you think this could be something maybe hindering your prayers? Well, I've got crosses all over my walls. Brother Johnson, I can't take them down. Well, you know, if you can't take them down after hearing what I've told you, what if you're going to a church and has all these all over the place? Why haven't they done their homework? I've only been saved since like 94. Started in 94. It's not like I grew up in this. I grew up in New Age. Went to a Catholic high school, Lutheran middle school. Wasn't even saved, you know, until I was 24. I'm 38 now. I haven't had my whole life to figure this thing out. But if you really desire truth, and you're really saved, and the Holy Spirit lives within you, God will lead you to the truth. I believe that. You may have to go through a lot to get to the truth. I sure had to. And not saying I've, I've you know, apprehended, and I'm like there, and I've arrived. <laughs> I'm not saying that either. But, I believe the Lord can do it. <clears throat> Bible says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No. God created the universe. What is it for him to actually show you truth? He can do it. Now, Barnabas says in chapter 9 of the epistle of Barnabas, quote, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, <clears throat> and the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay, I've got no problem with that. Consider how he has joined both the cross and the water together. Now, I do have a problem with that. He's joined the cross and the water together? Huh? And then it says, For thus he saith, Blessed are they who put their trust in the cross and descend into the water. End of quote. This is Barnabas, the Epistle of Barnabas, chapter 9. Where does it say that in the Bible? To put your trust in the cross? And then descend into the water? What is that implying? That's implying you bow yourself down to the cross, you put your trust in the cross, the wood, and then you go get baptized. Baptism is a sign of conversion. But you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, but by Jesus Christ. Not through the cross and these types of things. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So, I mean, okay, let's look at it this way. When Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves and the one guy got saved, he didn't have time to get baptized, did he? Whoa, I never thought about that. He never had time to get baptized. 
But he, Jesus Christ said to him personally, this day you will be with me in paradise. Sounds like he got saved to me. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get baptized. I'm just saying, you know, you just think about that. So, the scriptures does nowhere join the cross and the water together. This is the, after the quote here. Nowhere do they join the cross and, and the baptism together. Neither does it pronounce them blessed who put their trust in the cross and descend into the water. Just making this stuff up. But this is written, Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Whoever wrote this, that would apply to. They say they're apostles, but they're liars. Where does it say that? Revelation 2.2. 2. Now, there's many other quotes he said. I don't got time to read them all. <laughs> all from his stuff. All from this epistle of Barnabas. And it probably wasn't even Barnabas who wrote it. Okay? So, but I'm trying to show you how this all got started here. With what we, the mess that we have today. Now, let's talk about Nicodemus. Remember the one that went to Jesus by night? The second supporter of the glory and the power of the sign of the cross calls himself, calls himself Nicodemus. The Pharisee and the ruler who came to Jesus by night, according to the witness, when the king of glory came into Hades, according to this witness, when the king of glory came into Hades, quote, this is what Nicodemus says, he trampled on death, seized Beelzebub, the prince of Hades, deprived him of his power, and took our earthly father, Adam, and his race away with him into glory. Okay? Now that's from the uh, let's see here. I just want to tell you where that came from. The Gospel of Nicodemus. The Gospel of Nicodemus, okay. So the Gospel of Nicodemus says that. That is in chapter seventeen, verse thirteen. And then and then it says, and then Beelzebub, with great indignation, reigned Satan as the author of all this evil, saying Okay, so Beelzebub said to Satan, Thou wouldest crucify the king of glory, and now all thy advantages which thou didst acquire by the forbidden tree, in the loss of paradise, thou hast lost by the wood of the cross. Oh, that's what Beelzebub said to Satan. Like Nicodemus was there witnessing this thing, and he says he lost it by the wood of the cross? could have swore he lost it by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he defeated the devil in that. It wasn't the wood of the cross that defeated him. It was Jesus Christ. See, it's the, the matter is, who's getting the glory here? Christ Jesus or the wood? That's what we have going on here. So, you're telling me Beelzebub said this to Satan. Now it's lost by the wood of the cross. Oh, let's put Jesus Christ out of the picture here. To this burst of grief, Satan designs no reply, but to comfort Beelzebub. Oh, Satan's comforting Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. That must have been a real hallmark moment there. You know, a real tearjerker. Tear so Satan comforts Beelzebub. Now, I'm quoting from the Gospel of Nicodemus. The Lord himself, according to this according to this, to this supposed Nicodemus, said, by the way of compensation unto Beelzebub, now this is the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, said this to Beelzebub, Satan shall be subject to thy dominion forever. So in other words, he's saying now Satan's going to be subject to Beelzebub's dominion forever. So, so now he's saying Jesus is siding with Beelzebub. <laughs> this is insane. He says, Satan shall be subject to thy dominion forever in the room of Adam and of his righteous sons who are mine. You know what? We don't even know if Adam ended up in paradise or in heaven. I don't see any clear-cut thing in Scripture where it ever said Adam repented. He got cast out of the Garden of Eden. Maybe he did. I don't know, but I'm telling you right now, the Bible doesn't really indicate that. So it's hard to be real dogmatic about, you know, Adam being in heaven. I just don't know. Then Jesus stretched forth his hands and said, quote, Come to me, all ye saints, who were created in my image, who were condemned by the tree of forbidden fruit, meaning the, the, in the Garden of Eden, and by the devil and death. Live now by the wood of the cross. That's what supposedly Jesus was saying to those in paradise that he came. The Bible says that he came to captivity and took captivity captive. 
meaning he went to paradise, which was in the heart of the earth, after the resurrection, and he took captivity captive. Or actually, I'm sorry, before. The three days that he was in the heart of the earth. That's a whole other study. But you're telling me Jesus said, now live by the wood of my cross? End of quote. This is lies. Total lies. That's from chapter 18, verse 14, and chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, from the Gospel of Nicodemus. Quote, Then the Lord, stretching forth His hands, made the sign of the cross upon Adam and upon all His saints. Oh, is that so? That's from chapter 19, verse 5. He says, Then the Lord, Gospel of Nicodemus, stretcheth forth His hand and made the sign of the cross... Now, this was before the Catholic Church, as we know it today, was even formed. And Nick, this Gospel of Nicodemus is setting us up for this? Jesus Christ sent forth and did the sign of the cross like all good Catholics do today? Woo, we're talking some major lies from the pit of hell here now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> it don't sound too good to me. I'm going to go ahead right now and I'm going to go to the third part here. <clears throat> 